Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. Cognitive improvements with creatine supplementation. So it seems to have a really, really positive impact on brain health. It's specifically been shown to improve short-term memory. It improves intelligence, so it makes you smarter. It improves reasoning. It may improve long-term memory, spatial awareness, so it can make you a better athlete. It has a positive impact on attention span, language, and fatigue. That is amazing. I know. Hey, everyone. This is Meredith. You're listening to the Afternoon Snack Podcast. In today's episode, we are going to be talking all about creatine. Creatine is one of the very few supplements that we recommend to people, to clients and followers. And it does a lot more than you think. A lot of people think creatine is really just for gym bros and building muscle, but it's actually for everybody. And it has a use for almost everybody. If you've ever thought about supplementing creatine, I think that you're going to find this episode very helpful. Before we get into that, though, I just want to talk a little bit about Garmin. If you know us, you know how much we love Garmin products. It's actually one of the most common questions that we get on our Instagram pages when we're wearing watches. People ask, what watch is that? And it's a Garmin. I wear a 4Runner 945. Alex wears a 4Runner 955. Rue has a Garmin collar. We really love Garmin. So this crazy thing happened. If you did our holiday challenge last year, you might remember that the grand prize giveaway was a Garmin Phoenix 7 Adventure Watch, one of their highest end watches. But like, of course, what else are we going to give away? Garmin is our favorite. So I learned this a few years ago and revisited it last year that Garmin has an office just outside of Calgary, Alberta, which is where we live in Cochrane. And I'm recording this because we have so many listeners who also live in the kind of Calgary and surrounding areas. So Garmin has an office in Cochrane. And when I reached out to Garmin for sponsorship for our holiday challenge, I was put in contact with someone who actually works in product development. And I went out to the office in Cochrane. And let me just tell you, it's not just an office. It is like a product development facility. A few of the engineers from Cochrane actually developed the wireless technology used in Garmin's fitness products. And the current office is where the majority of product development actually happens. So it's kind of cool that a lot of that work is happening in our backyard. And we use their products every day. And as part of their product development, they actually work with people. And I don't mean just athletes, like elite athletes, they work with the entire gamut of athletic abilities from casual exercisers to elite athletes. And that's because they want their products to work for everyone, not just for the athletes. They want it to be something that improves your fitness, but also improves your life. It's a really cool and innovative facility and an innovative team that makes solutions that change the way we live the way that we play, and the way that we work. It's even cooler that it's just kind of nestled right in our backyard. If you haven't checked them out, we will drop a link to a video in our show notes so you can see what they're up to at the Cochrane office. We also haven't gotten around to thanking them for their support during our holiday challenge last year and donating that incredible Phoenix 7 watch. So 
Thank you for that. Check them out if you haven't already. If you're interested in product testing, you can keep your eyes out for that as well. All right, back to creatine. Do you ever start working with people, clients early on and you realize like what they want is a list of supplements to take? They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nutrition, sleep. Yeah. But like what supplements should I be taking? I would say fewer and fewer as time goes on because they know what we're about. Most people who sign up know that we're what we're about, but for sure at the start. Yeah. Early on. Yeah. But still like sometimes you get people who come from other coaches or backgrounds and they're like these are this is the list of supplements that I take and it's like I'm not even joking like over 20 yeah and I'm like you take these every single sometimes day. I feel bad listing all the supplements that we recommend and really there's like five and they're very basic but I'm like oh man someone's gonna have to buy all these I know like that's like and they just signed up for nutrition coaching too so I'm always just like supplements are just that they're supplements like they're supplemental to good habits yeah nutrition but the ones that, so there are some that do like tend to be quite limited in the diet. So what's our list is really short. It's, what is it? It's vitamin D. Right. Yeah. Or go outside. Yeah. Okay. Good for winter months. Fish oil. So omega-3. You can also get that from krill oil or there's some like plant-based ones. Vitamin B complex. Generally better than B12. Yep. Magnesium bisbisglycinate. Yeah. Or which, mag- magnesium glycinate. Yeah. I don't recommend that one to everyone. I don't. It kind of depends, but it's a good like blanket recommendation. Yeah. And like there's ones like zinc, calcium that you can recommend, but I would say those four and then the one that we recommend to everyone, unless they have some sort of like issue and we always say to check with your doctor is creatine, micronized creatine monohydrate. Which is also conveniently the topic of this podcast. Yeah. But our our whole, like our list of recommended supplements tends to be things that are a little bit on the like more limited in the diet and like magnesium. I recommend that for people who live in like up North here in Alberta and BC because the groundwater is pretty high in calcium and they compete. Mm -hmm. So, and also most people just, they don't eat enough like dark leafy green vegetables, probably not getting enough magnesium in the diet, but yeah, creatine is one that we get, we talk about it a lot, which is probably why we get a lot of questions about it. We've posted about it. And there's a lot of misconceptions about creatine, what creatine is and what it does. I didn't realize that there are actually like so many people out there who think that creatine is a steroid. Did you know this? I don't know. I feel like in the general, like those supplements and like protein powder, like they weren't really a thing when I was like a kid or maybe I just wasn't in the right so like when I you start taking like supplements or creatine, it's like people's like parents that are like, that's bad for you. That's a steroid. Yeah. Only like bodybuilders take that. Well, the so creatine wasn't produced as a supplement until and sold as a supplement until 1993 by a company called Experimental and Applied Sciences. And they sold it under the name Phosphagen. I mean, I don't know. That's kind of a scary name. <laughs> yeah, I definitely don't think that they did the best job like rolling that out in a way that inspired. I yeah, don't know. <laughs> it's like, you know, when people are like, you should take ashwagandha. I'm like, I should take ashwagandha. It just sounds nice. Yeah. Like that. You should take 
Rishi. <laughs> You're like, I should take that. Yeah. Yeah. Experimental applied sciences phosphagen does kind of sound like a steroid. Yeah. <laughs> that do- and I think it it did start getting a lot of notoriety around that time, specifically in Olympic athletes who were taking it and breaking records. So that was pre-anabolic steroid scandal of the mid to late 90s that kind of came out of baseball. But I definitely think that PEDs were starting to become more well-known. And then, so you have to think like 1993, it comes out. Then there's the steroid scandal of the late 90s. And I, I think a lot of probably people just lumped creatine in with that. And they said, no, creatine is creatine's a steroid. I, I can't take it or I don't want my kid to take it or whatever. And there's, a, there's yeah, there's still kind of limited research in young adults. But creatine is to this point, one of the, the most well-researched, if not the most well-researched ergogenic sports supplement that exists. And one of the cheapest. It's super cheap. Yeah. Another point for it's not definitely not a steroid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's too inexpensive to be a steroid. No, but it's it's well-researched. It's The effects on sports performance are well-known and they're positive. And it's really safe. Like the side effects are quite low for the positive benefits. And a lot of the side effects that people think that there are aren't actually side effects when you look at the general population. So... I guess what we'll start with what is creatine. So creatine is a naturally occurring non-protein substance that I don't know why I'm staring right at you while I talk about it. I'm like I feel like I'm in school. I'm like, I do I need a notepad here? <laughs> I'm being lectured. I'm gonna look somewhere else because okay. I've never do that. Yeah, so it's an organic compound. It we get it in the food that we eat, human beings. So we don't naturally produce creatine. It's the primary constituent of phosphocreatine, which is used to regenerate or recycle ATP, which if you remember, we just talked about ATP in the calories in, calories out episode. So ATP, adenosine triphosphate, which is primarily used in the muscle and brain tissue. It's used to provide energy for most, if not all, cellular processes in the body, including exercise. My favorite substance. ATP is that your that <laughs> yeah. would be your favorite it is it really is I've always liked it <laughs> yeah so ATP is regenerated by converting a DP which stands for adenosine diphosphate back to ATP via the donation of a phosphate group all math well it's technically a stoichiometry <laughs> but yeah <laughs> biochemistry math stoichiometry math Stoichiometry, <laughs> smoichiometry. Yeah, so, and then that's that's all done by a, an enzyme that you probably have heard of if you've ever had blood work done, creatine kinase. When you get those tested, that blood work tested, when you go a little too hard in an open workout and you think you have... Rhabdo. Rhabdo, yeah. so you actually go to the emergency room, which I did do one time. You did do that. But also, I guess an aside to that is sometimes I get these panicked text messages from clients and they're like, well, I got my blood work done and my CK is through the roof. So my doctor thinks that I need to lower my protein intake or stop taking like, creatine. Well, did you I'm just like, work out? Yeah. Did you just do a workout? <laughs> Before you had your blood tested yeah. or blood drawn? So usually what happens, by, by the way, for your knowledge, listeners, if you get blood work done and you have elevated creatine kinase levels, you go back to the doctor like 24 to 48 hours. Don't do a workout. Get your blood work done again. I can almost guarantee you that your CK will be back within normal range. Nothing to worry about. But don't take that as medical advice. I'm not a doctor. You need to consult your own doctor. I'm not a doctor. I just like to read. (laughs) 
<laughs> we do. It, it's a running joke in our family that there's that one person who's never actually a doctor, but gets asked all the medical questions. Meredith is that in our family. Mm-hmm. So it's like, whether it's me or my mom or my dad, we're like, Meredith, I have this thing in my knee right now. It's kind of in the front. What do you think it is? <laughs> Bursitis. <laughs> <laughs> She does. You always, you have exude like a lot of confidence. Yeah. So it's easy to to be like, oh, okay, how long will it last? Or actually better yet, you're like, I had that once, which yeah. you have had a lot of things. I usually, that's what I, I usually speak from personal experience. Yeah. I don't diagnose, but I'm like, I have had bursitis before. They're like, oh, it's, it's like a little bump right on the top of my, like front of my knee. I'm like, yeah, I mean, that sounds like bursitis. I had that. I've had tendonitis. I've had lateral knee issues. I've had quad tendonitis. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, thank you. I appreciate that. So, Professor, back to it. No, so most people are familiar with creatine, the athletic supplement. And when we're talking about energy systems in the body, you can kind of like start to understand how this thing works. So in exercise science, we're talking about energy systems. If you envision like an X, Y graph and on the X axis is our timestamps. And so the first time stamps would be like two seconds. That would represent a, a really short effort, something like a, you know, a max effort, like a jump, maybe an Olympic lift if you're not doing multiple. And then the next time stamp would be maybe around 10 seconds. And then you would have two minutes and then maybe you would have like two hours. And then way down the graph, you'd have like the infinity symbol. That two second effort, that really quick, like max effort jump, Olympic lift, a muscle up, a muscle up, something that happens really fast and it really only happens one time. That is your body using stored ATP, ATP that has already been produced from fat, from glucose, from protein. However, your body produced that ATP, it uses it. That like 10 second. So think about like a 10 second max effort sled push or max effort sprint on an air bike. That is called the CP creatine phosphate system. That's that system where you're you're regenerating ATP from ADP by donating that phosphate group. So basically, it's your body being like, ah, uh-uh, we're not done with you yet. We have this enzyme that can facilitate this transfer of phosphate. So you, it's a, a quicker way for your body to regenerate ATP without having to go start tapping into macronutrients that are stored in the body. And then at the two-minute mark, you have anaerobic glycolysis. So it's the production of ATP from stored glycogen in the absence of oxygen. So this also used to be called the lactic acid pathway. It's like, and that would be something like a 10 minute. That's like Fran. And AMRAP. Oh yeah. Something yeah, shorter. It's like Fran. Depends I mean, on how you do Fran. It does. I guess it would depend. Yeah. If you did like a, a two minute, like a beep test, yeah. something like that, where you're just, it's a really high effort sprint. Maybe like a 400 meters. Yeah. You're not holding back a lot. You're not pacing. You're just, it's as, as hard as you can go for yeah, a relatively short amount of time. That's going to be anaerobic glycolysis. Aerobic glycolysis is you were producing ATP from stored glycogen, but it relies on oxygen. So each of these, the the peak power output, like the intensity comes down. So stored a- ATP is the most intense. CP is almost as intense. And then as you step down into each of these energy energy systems, the intensity drops, but the time duration that you can sustain using them gets longer. So um, the lines like they become flatter. Yeah. With each. Yeah, whereas like the ATP is just like it's really steep and then it drops and then CP is like a steep peak and then it drops. And then anaerobic glycolysis is like a moderate peak and then it starts to gr- drop. 
Aerobic glycolysis, remember, that's what we're going to be using for like two hours or less. That's more of a soft curve. And then the last one is aerobic lipolysis. So that's going to be the oxidative system, your body using fat instead of, because it's going to start to run out of glycogen. That is the lowest intensity because it's such an oxygen heavy process, but it can be sustained essentially indefinitely. So, but that's the lowest peak and it kind of starts to ramp up, you know, around maybe the 10 minute mark. And then it sort of just becomes asymptotic to a specific rate of fat oxidation. So anyways, CP system, the more creatine you're storing in your muscles, the more significant that energy system becomes. But you're not going to be able to, like creatine doesn't do you a whole lot for very sustained efforts, at least not directly, which we'll talk about later. So again, it's it's a very well-studied supplement. Like we can't say that enough. It's like the safety profile on it is really, really good. And most people, I think, have an understanding of that. I don't know. Maybe they don't. That's worth saying. Like I look at the list of bullshit that people will, are willing to put in their bodies from like a sports performance standpoint, but they don't take creatine. I'm like, well, you should take creatine and stop taking this other crap that isn't doing anything for you anyways. So creatine supplementation. And when we're talking about creatine, we are talking about creatine monohydrate. There's also like creatine citrate. There's a few different types of creatine, but what's like most commonly studied is creatine monohydrate, specifically micronized creatine monohydrate, which are like very small molecules. So essentially the way that creatine supplement appears to work, like they're not 100% sure of the exact mechanism, but it appears to work by increasing the number of myonuclei that satellite muscle cells will donate to damaged muscle fibers. Satellite cells, like in muscle tissue, are multipotent stem cells, which means that they can differentiate and become a variety of different cells. They can't, they're not like totipotent. They can't become any cell in the body, but they can become different types of muscle cells. They can be turned into skeletal muscle cells under the right conditions, and creatine supplementation encourages this conversion. So it just makes building muscle a little bit easier, essentially. Got it. <laughs> I was, I'm like staring at you. Again. Wait, I have a question. Okay. Is there going to be a pop quiz at any point? Just wondering. Do you want there to be a pop quiz? <laughs> no. I mean, sure. I'll be ready. Yeah. I mean, so like really all it's doing, if as long as you're exercising, right? Like that's underlying this is you have to still be exercising, doing some sort of exercise. It just helps your body do what you probably want it to do anyways, which is build more muscle. That's it. Like the exact mechanism that it works by, not that important unless you're just interested in physiology. And then it's kind of cool. Yeah. It's just like, hey, be a muscle cell. And your body's like, uh, okay, that's it. Yeah. And a lot of people have the goal of like building more muscles. So yeah, why not? In practice, like when you're actually looking at the research, on, like from a performance standpoint, so we're not looking at the mechanism. We're looking like, hey, how does this actually make people better? It looks like it increases power output and strength by between 5 and 15%. That's which is huge. Like huge. <laughs> That's not insignificant. That's significant. And you look at similar supplements like beta alanine, L-carnitine, people who take, you know, glutamine or BCAA supplements, none of those supplements come anywhere near that type of increase in, in performance. And this is data that has been repeated over and over and over again between 5 and 15% improvements in strength and power. Well, then what didn't Matt Fraser once say that beta alanine gives him a second, third lung? Yeah. So that would be like 30% better from an aerobic standpoint. Uh, yeah. If we're like, so if, I mean, if we're comparing anecdotal evidence. Yeah. 
basically it's, beta alanine got Matt Fraser to the CrossFit games? Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I had to say that. I just think it's hilarious. Yeah. And that's not even how beta alanine works. I know. <laughs> But this is not a podcast about beta alanine, yeah. but it does not improve aerobic performance. A survey of 21,000 college athletes showed that 14% did use creatine in an effort to improve athletic performance. So, so 14% listened to their coaches. Yeah. And then that's the other ones were like, meh. Mom says that's a steroid. Mom says I can't take that. <laughs> Although, like, I will say we get messages every time we post about creatine, we get people who are like, I wonder if this could be good for my kid who's like a football player is trying to, you know, do this and this and this. And, you know, I always say back, like, what is your kid eating? And it's like crickets. Yeah. Because, again, even in people who, you know, whether or not it's a kid or a teenager or a college athlete or an adult who just wants to improve creatine supplementation or any supplementation for that matter, including protein does not stand in for building and sustaining good eating and exercise habits. Yeah, like eating enough protein is more effective than taking a supplement. Yeah. Which a lot of people aren't doing. Yes. Yeah. And it's not to say that you won't. But the thing is, like, here's here's what happens with supplementation a lot of the times. People fail to control for other factors. So a lot of times people start taking a supplement and they button up other areas in their life. So maybe they're not you know, normally they're not eating the best or they're not eating in a very routine way. Maybe they're sleeping like crap, but they start taking a supplement and all of a sudden they start paying attention to all these other areas. So like it can be a weird sort of behavioral catalyst to start a supplement routine, but we need to be careful about assigning and attributing any progress that is observed in subsequent weeks and months to that supplement protocol. Because more than likely, they, yes, they were taking whatever the supplements were, but they were also doing a better job across the board with training, eating, sleeping, not drinking alcohol, things like this. Because that, you know, 200 to $300 a month supplement routine, like subconsciously, you're like, well, I don't want to waste that money. I should probably do a better job with these other areas. Yeah, I'll get off my high horse about that. It's not just for strength athletes. So I think a lot of people have this image of when you hear creatine and supplementation in gyms, you kind of have this image of like knuckle dragging sort of gym bros taking mirror selfies and like cut off string tanks. You know what I mean? People who actually probably take steroids. Well, I don't know. I kind of feel the same way about like protein shakes. And like when I was in university, when I was having protein, like would drink protein shakes starting out. Cause I was like, that was kind of when I was into CrossFit. Yeah. I would like bring my protein shaker with protein in it to class and I felt like a knuckle dragging gym bro. Yeah. So yeah, it's like, I don't know. I To me, like protein and creatine are like the same, like have the same aura. I definitely, when I was working in an office before I'd quit my job, especially when I was doing weightlifting, I would, I would carry around like a jug of water, <laughs> like a milk jug, gallon, two gallon jug of water. But I, the, the difference is I was a knuckle dragon. <laughs> okay. I wasn't, I was like embarrassed. I was very aware of the fact I had a protein shake, shaker bottle. Yeah. I didn't want anyone to see it. Yeah. But I was like, I got to get my protein in. I know. It was I, like, it was a fight of identity. I was like actually intolerable. I had, for a I had two identities. <laughs> I was like insufferable <laughs> to be around. You still are. I don't think so. You didn't know me back then. You didn't know me in my like insufferable CrossFit paleo phase. So it was bad. But anyways, creatine supplementation also has benefits for aerobic performance. And a lot of people don't know this or it's just not intuitive. It doesn't necessarily increase 
VO2 max, although like in, in certain populations and in certain people, supplementation is correspond like correlated to improved VO2 max. But most likely the mechanism of improved aerobic performance is related to increases in basically muscle function, size, output, and then the ability to store muscle glycogen. So creatine increases that. And I, I in the was it in the calorie podcast? No, it was in the Calgary Marathon podcast. The Calgary Marathon. Yeah, we talked about the creatine loading with carbohydrates and how it can increase glycogen stores in the muscle by like 53%. So that's happening. Even if you're not doing a creatine load with a carb load, it's still increasing your ability to store glycogen in your muscles. And that's probably going to have a positive effect on performance. And then also creatine does, it does increase the basically water retention in cells. So it more water in your muscle cells, which would also have a positive effect on not only muscle performance, but also heat tolerance and hydration status. So yeah, that's kind of how it works. We th- That's how people think it works for aerobic performance. Yeah. And not to mention the fact that like a lot of aerobic athletes or endurance athletes are lifting weights now. They understand the importance of that. Right. And understand the importance of like being resilient and having muscle mass on their body. Even if you're not doing it for endurance performance, like directly, if you're lifting in any capacity, take creatine to build muscle, to be more resilient to injury, which will in indirectly positively impact endurance performance. Right. Yeah. Well said, Alex. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Just got to chime in once in a while. I mean, I think personally that the a lot of people in the nutrition space are getting more excited about the non-athletic impacts of creatine supplementation than like the sports performance side of things. And I think this is, I agree. Cause like every time I read a new paper on creatine, it's just like, wow, this actually is a super supplement. I think there are a lot of people out there who are interested in the sports performance impacts, but I think that there's more people who probably look at creatine and they think to themselves, like, even if they do work out, they, they might think, well, I'm not an elite athlete, not trying to win anything. I'm not trying to be like big and bulky. So I don't need to take creatine. Wrong. (laughs) And Meredith will tell you why. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> that was so aggressive. I know. I knew. Years. <laughs> I forgot you're wearing headphones. Wearing, that was really loud. <laughs> well, no, I'm passionate. I can tell. I can tell. Yeah. M- most people are, I think, out there just trying to, to be better and healthier and delay aging as long as possible, which is very convenient because that has a lot to do with the non- sports performance effects of creatine. So, yeah. It makes you smarter. We will get to that, Alex. Please, let me go in order. Sorry. From a health standpoint, creatine supplementation appears to improve, have a positive impact on glucose control. And so there's this interesting data that came out of research on type 2 diabetics. So people who have basically like diet and lifestyle induced insulin impairment. And what they saw was that Creatine supplementation improved glycemic control. It seems to increase the concentration of, I'm going to do another protein, GLUT4, G-L-U-T-4, which is a protein that transports glucose in and out of the cells. And so not only does this improve exercise performance, it's one mechanism by which that probably happens, but it also increases and improves insulin activity in type 2 diabetics. And so they saw improved blood glucose markers, lowered HbA1c over time. So basically all of these things that indicate uh, an improvement in health in that particular 
population happened more significantly in the group that was supplementing creatine, which is really, really neat. Creatine supplementation improved peripheral blood flow, arterial stiffness, and microvascular function. So that's going to be related to blood pressure, lowers risk for cardiovascular disease and heart disease. So it's linked to a reduction in oxidative stress markers and lowered DNA damage. It also appears to increase anti-tumor T-cell immunity in mice. So we're always a little bit reluctant to like say, oh, it does this in mice, therefore it's going to do this in humans because we're not big mice unless you're watching like the Nutcracker. <laughs> Isn't that the ballet with the, the Rat King? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm bad with references. I definitely am not going to get a Nutcracker reference. <laughs> yeah, I think that is the one. I think that is the... Unless you're pinky in the brain. Well, okay. That works. <laughs> Unless you're pinky in the brain or maybe... Mickey Mouse. The nut and Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse yeah. and Minnie Mouse. There's a lot of giant mice, apparently. Dead now mouse? that I'm thinking about it. Dead, Dead mouse. mouse? <laughs> <laughs> Dead mouse is actually a human being. I know. I know. Okay. We should tell him. Yeah. So it's interesting data because it's if if it does correlate to humans, and I'm assuming this research is ongoing, there's potential anti-cancer effects of creatine supplementation. Now, that's not to say if you take creatine, you'll never get cancer, but it certainly seems to have a positive impact on this particular type of T-cell immunity in small mice. And lastly, and I think this is the most impactful from like a physical health standpoint, is the impact to sarcopenia, which is sarcopenia is the age-related loss of specifically muscle mass. Yeah. Everyone is concerned about well, this. Yeah. Um, or like a lot of people. When we talk about fighting aging, delaying aging, in my opinion, like this is the number one thing. I think that it's it's what has the biggest impact to vitality, health, uh, resiliency, especially if like someone falls. I have a few clients who, and like women, and they they work with me and they shared early on in the, like, the intake process that they look at their moms who... 70, 80 years old and for their entire lives just tried to be smaller, tried to be smaller, tried to be smaller. And these people probably didn't do any resistance exercise. And now like they're just not aging well. They're not holding up. And women, you also have the added risk of like bone loss because of the estrogen, lower estrogen. So creatine supplementation increases lean body mass and attenuates that kind of muscle loss that comes with aging, especially when you combine it with resistance training. And kind of a side note there, I think that the general, like when you look at dietary patterns across the lifespan of people who, you know, maybe they don't give a lot of attention to what they eat, but you see a decline in protein consumption specifically and meat, animal meat is where most of our creatine comes from. So if, if all of a sudden you have someone who is eating less protein and less meat, then they're also eating less creatine. And so the aging population who tends towards that dietary pattern benefits even more from supplementation of not only creatine, but protein as well. Cognitive improvements, I think, are the most interesting and the most exciting. And that's where a lot of the, the research and the focus is now. Like, I feel like every month there's a new paper that comes out about some cognitive correlation with creatine supplementation. So it seems to have a really really positive impact on brain health. 
you remember earlier you're like it makes you smarter yeah that's what I, now we're at that part of the yeah. podcast it's specifically been shown to in most populations of people improve short-term memory it improves intelligence so it makes you smarter it improves reasoning it may improve long-term memory spatial awareness so it can make you a better athlete and in older populations can have a positive impact on proprioception which makes falling less likely has a positive impact on attention span language and fatigue that is amazing i know i know it's like the the data coming out on like cognitive improvements and brain health is really something i did have a client today who emailed me after i sent the plan out that has recommendations for these supplements she was like what's the reason behind creatine and i was like it was hard for me to like just type it up because it was like I don't know. Just like go to this post. Yeah. We've, because it's so broad, the yeah. benefits. Anecdotally, I had someone, I've actually had a couple people tell me, but I'm, I'm thinking about the one most recently, a client who had started taking creatine and she's in menopause. And so there's a lot of side effects that come with that, as you know. But she's like, the weirdest thing was like this, this kind of brain fog that I had been living with pretty constantly since I have been going through menopause completely went away. She's like, I don't, I still have some of the other symptoms, but I feel like this brain fog has been lifted. And granted, like anecdotal, I don't have anything to substantiate that it was actually like definitely creatine. But I thought that was kind of neat feedback, especially like women tend to be a little reluctant to take it. There's interesting research coming out of the traumatic brain injury space that shows positive impacts to recovery from like TBIs. And it seems to have a neuroprotective effect and reduce symptom following TBIs. So a lot of, especially in, in groups like football players, rugby players, people who have, have kind of like an increased risk of brain injuries, military. So that's pretty interesting. And here's an interesting tidbit about creatine. People who consume low levels of dietary creatine. So remember, it comes from predominantly like animal meat products. So we're talking about vegans and vegetarians experience higher rates of depression than people who consume higher levels of dietary creatine. Didn't know that. Yeah, I know. It's interesting. So creatine supplementation has also been shown to improve symptoms of depression and anxiety, and then also improves the efficacy of SSRI class drugs. So if you're someone who's on that particular type of medication, creatine supplementation is like makes them more efficacious, which is actually kind of cool. You don't have to necessarily increase your dose of, you could just take a dose of creatine. Nice. I know. And it also improves the clinical symptoms of bipolar and major depressive disorder. There's, yeah, mental health benefits as well as actual cognitive benefits, which is pretty cool. Continues to be the best supplement ever. Let's talk about women, which favorite topic, Mm -hmm. right? I do love women. Most research, medical research, sports performance research is done on men. There's not a lot that's been done specifically on women. And creatine characteristics vary quite significantly between men and women. So women specifically only store 70, 60 to 70% as much creatine as men with the same kind of level of consumption or supplementation. And then also... Just like with the elderly population, meat consumption tends to be lower in women. We know that estrogen, so the the primary sex hormone for women, is a major regulator of energetics in women's bodies. During the menstrual cycle, so if you measure creatine, serum creatine concentration across 
the menstrual cycle across a large population of women, you'll see that creatine concentration is highest during the luteal phase, which is when estrogen concentration is highest and it's lowest in the follicular phase. And this is interesting because it opens the door for basically cyclical creatine supplementation. So, so different varying levels of creatine supplementation across the menstrual cycle. So maybe you would supplement a little bit lower in the luteal phase and then higher in the follicular phase. Yeah. So follicular would be the days one to 14. Yes. And then luteal is 15 to 28-ish. Yeah, exactly. There's not been like a specific protocol developed. Again, like not a lot of research happening in women. I think it's ongoing, but that's like definitely pencil that in for a possibility. That would also open up the conversation for menopause. Yeah, exactly. Which is another known low estrogen period for women. So if the assumption is that, and the observation is that estrogen is very involved with creatine storage and availability in female and women's bodies, then supplementation during menopause would be sort of intuitive. And that's kind of exactly what we see. And also, so a decline in estrogen in menopausal women is the main contributing factor to bone loss. So women during this age also don't tend to exercise as much as they used to or eat as much protein. So we see bone loss and muscle loss in women as they age. So creatine supplementation seems to offset a lot of that and reduces the risk of osteoporosis, which is pretty high in women as they get older. And also because it increases IGF-1 production and it increases a variety of protein kinases, it also lowers blood pressure and decreases the risk of CVD and heart disease. And heart disease is the number one killer of women. Yeah. I think that this is not anecdotal. I think this is well reported that women experience higher levels of stress and anxiety than men generally. I think like I saw it on the Today Show recently, so it must be true. <laughs> so, I mean, the benefits of creatine on anxiety and stress and depression are valid across all demographics, but might be especially important for women who just deal with a lot of yeah. bullshit. <laughs> women apparently multitask more than men, and that's where a lot of it comes from. You certainly do. Do I? You multitask a lot. Thanks. Is that a good thing? Or maybe you just don't do the task that's most important. I stay busy. You do. You stay busy. Yeah, thank you. I guess like many women and actually probably people, but definitely women are reluctant to take creatine because they're concerned about gaining weight. Bloating. It's like the number one thing that prevents people from taking creatine, but especially women. And it is completely unfounded. When you take it, when you don't do a loading phase. Which you don't have to which you don't have to, and we'll talk about that. You don't, like statistically speaking, when you're observing changes in weight over time across a large population of people, of women, there was no statistically significant change in body weight before, during, or after creatine supplementation. Doesn't happen. Does that mean that on an individual level that it will never happen? No. Some people probably will experience some sort of Transitional bloating, water retention, because that's kind of how it works. There's more water in your cells. Yeah, like that's part of what it does. It does seem to be kind of a transient side effect if it does occur, and it's more prominent in men than in women. More cells also. They have more cells. But 
<laughs> they do. Actually. I read somewhere that if you take the micronized version of creatine monohydrate, if you are somebody who may experience the weight gain or bloating, then the micronized can help reduce that. Yes. But it's still not like even if it did, even if it did. And it's just it's partly it's partially the the mechanism by which it works. If it is a supplement that can improve your performance in the gym, make you feel better, help your brain, help your hormones, help your blood pressure, help all of these things. Like at what point are you are we just okay with potentially gaining a pound or two tops of water weight? It's just weight. That's it. It's just how much water you have in your body. And if you think about one to two pounds on a human body is a pretty darn small percentage. People make a big deal about one to two pounds, but it's literally, if you didn't have the scale, you wouldn't notice it, but you would notice all these other impacts, positive impacts. Yeah. At least a few. I always feel like that's a bit of a shame that people are like, yeah, I don't want to take it because I don't want to gain weight. Okay. It's not like it's going to make you fat. No, it's not. (laughs) It doesn't cause body fat retention. Doesn't do that. I think people are just so averse to like the scale changing in any way because it's like, oh, if it goes up by, you know, two pounds, what's to stop it from going up by 10 pounds? Mm -hmm. Like, well, that's just not going to happen. Okay. Not how it works. And what's likely to happen is it's going to go up by two pounds and it's going to go back down by two pounds. And if it has the potential to make you feel better in the gym, you can work out harder, you're going to build more muscle mass, visibly going to start to be leaner. So like all of these things can actually move people in the direction that they want to go if they can get over the fact that the scale might, might, maybe, not even guaranteed, go up by a couple of pounds. Maybe. That's a good argument. Can't argue with that. You can't. Like some other myths about creatine is that it causes stomach upset. Again, maybe that some people observe that, but it's not a widely reported or general side effect that people have. It doesn't damage kidneys. It's not going to cause kidney disease. Now, if kidney disease runs in your family or you have an issue, maybe you've had off blood work before, probably consult your doctor before you start taking creatine. That's not a bad idea. But it's not going to cause any issues as long as you're, I guess, taking the recommended amounts. What else? What are some other myths? That it makes your hair fall out. Really? Yeah, it's a myth. I've never heard of that one. Men. And again, I think that stems from that is a side effect of anabolic steroids. And people don't know that creatine is not an anabolic steroid. I guess. And then the loading phase that you have to load it. And that's a myth. I think when it was originally developed, when you look at like serum blood levels and the way that because it is a a saturation supplement. It doesn't, it's not going to do anything the first day you take it. In fact, it's probably not going to do anything for a couple of weeks, like three to four weeks. So what they found was that you can speed up the rate of saturation for serum creatine by doing a loading phase. So you, you do a week or 10 days at like 10 to 20 grams per day, which is more than a daily dose. And that would basically like shift the saturation peak up a few days. So speeds it up. But like what we've seen is if you take the recommended dose, don't have to load it for a you know sustained period of time, you get that same amount of serum creatine. You don't have to load it. And if you're not loading it, you're reducing the risk of GI upset, upset and things like upset. And you don't, you also don't have to like cycle on and off of it. Yeah. You can take it all the time. 
that was a, an early kind of myth. And again, I think that one comes from the steroid community where they're like, well, if you're going to take steroids, you probably should not take them indefinitely. You want to cycle off of them and do a, a PCT. Again, creatine is not a steroid. It's something that you already eat every single day. Most people, you're just taking a little bit more of it. You can I will it. say one thing. You are out there and you're an elite athlete and someone who gets drug tested. Any supplement that you take should be third-party tested. Yes. So yeah, don't just take any creatine supplement if you're getting drug tested. Just like you wouldn't take any protein powder or pre-workout or whatever you're taking should be third-party tested. Well, and I think too, like even if you're you, if you're just like a discerning individual, like I don't want to take yeah, supplements I mean, that- I always recommend third-party tested yeah. supplements. So what you're looking for, if you're looking for supplements and you want to be sure that what's in them is exactly what they say is in them and nothing else- then you're looking for an NSF certified or what's the other one? Safe for sport. And that's just certifies that not only is the company tested, but they test each individual batch that's produced and it comes off the line and they can't put the sticker on it unless it's tested. So you can look out for, for those. And if you're not sure, you know, if you Google like third party tested WADA supplements, you'll figure out how to search for them and then search for them. But most of the ones that spend the money on that testing make it clear and they put the labels on them and stuff. So, but yeah, that's a good idea. Cause I think there was some study that came out a few years ago that like a gross percentage of supplements that get sold over the counter are cross contaminated with illegal substances and not always illegal. Like whenever, you know, a CrossFit athlete pops for an anabolic steroid or something and they're like, Oh, it's in my BCAs. I'm like, no, it wasn't. <laughs> it's unlikely. I mean, I don't know what the likelihood is, but it's best to just always take third-party tested, I think, especially especially if you're an athlete who's competing competitively and may get drug tested in a competition. Yeah, just be safe. Yeah. Better safe than sorry. Yes. How does one take creatine? You mix it in fluid. The kicker is it doesn't dissolve. It's not soluble. So it, <laughs> oh, this is like the one thing I hate. You can actually get it in pill form, but usually it, it comes in a powder yeah. and you put it in water or in your BCAs or in your noon, whatever you're drinking. Your protein shake is a great time yeah. to put it in. Usually for most people, scoop five grams and the one, so you have to shake it because otherwise it'll settle at the bottom and then you get like a really nasty last sip. It's just kind of gritty. It doesn't, I don't think it has a taste. But there's, it's, yeah, it's completely unflavored. Yeah. You just, yeah, you get, it's like a very fine kind of sand mm -hmm. at the end where you're like, oh, I wish I didn't just drink that, but it's, it's a small amount. And it, it does, if you just like keep shaking it before you take a sip, it's fine. Yeah. And then the timing doesn't really matter that much. There's like some data that shows a benefit to taking it pre-workout, but it's like, it's not really that compelling. If you want to be like very granular about it, then I would take it before your workout. But honestly, just put it in whatever you're drinking and sip on it. You don't have to take the entire dose all at once. You can spread it out. You can split the dose in half. There's no problem with that. For most people, five grams per day is a good dose. For like large dudes, probably like seven to 10. If you're a really small person, maybe three grams. But something in the realm of five grams per day seems to be sufficient for reaping the benefits, not only from a sports performance and like muscle standpoint, but also the cognitive and like mental health benefits are also around that five grams per day. We're going to link a lot of the research that we've kind of been citing in the show notes. So if you're interested in learning 
a bit more about it, you can certainly do your reading. We are far from experts on this topic. There are people who have PhDs in exercise science and pharmacology whose sole mission in life is creatine research. And, you know, they're out there, but we like to spread the the love on this one because we do think it's a really valuable supplement. And we think a lot of people avoid it because they just don't understand a lot about it, or they have just heard some of the myths and, you know, like, oh, that's not for me or you know, it's not safe. I don't want to gain weight or whatever, but it is really great. It's really effective. It's really safe, all things considered. And yeah, the the side effects are quite minimal and that includes the weight gain side effect. So thanks, prof. Yeah. You did a good job. You can, you can call me the professor (laughs) moving on. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for coming to class. No pop quizzes today. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions on creatine, feel free to ask us about it. Happy to answer questions. And we appreciate you. We appreciate you coming to class today. So thank you. And we'll catch you on the next one.